Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're doing another bonus episode. I am talking to John Daniel Trask. Everybody I talk to around him calls him JD. I think I call him JD, too. So uh, anyway, JD, welcome to the show. You're the CEO of Raygun. We've talked on and off for the last several years, and it's always a pleasure to talk to you. But yeah, sounds like you've had some interesting and exciting stuff going on in your life over the last couple of years. Do you want to just fill us in, let us know where you're at now, and then we'll jump in and talk about software monitoring? Yeah, sure. Well, and thank you very much for having having me back on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, the last couple of years, I think last time we spoke, I was still based up in Seattle, li- literally mm-hmm. living across the road from the Amazon headquarters, which was always quite inspiring, to be honest, as a, as a, <laughs> as a business builder. You're kind of like, wow, yeah. okay, that's that's the potential. Yeah, no, so that was good. We moved back to New Zealand at the end of 2018 for the birth of our first child. So that's been exciting. And Ooh, I think my, well, thank you. Uh, his, his name is Henry. He's uh, going to be two years in, in March. And um, mm-hmm. I think my wife has, has grown thoroughly bored of me making comparisons between machine learning algorithms and watching him develop. <laughs> and being like, oh, I can see how he's like <laughs> conflated these things and he's figured out this. And it, it's actually been really awesome to, to watch that, that play out. So that's been fun. Obviously, yeah, we then had had uh, the pandemic kick off, which I'm very fortunate New Zealand has so far done reasonably well at managing. So life down here has been more or less uh, back to normal for, for a wee while. But that's where, you know, a lot of the time you get these people that sort of say, was I was I lucky or was I smart? I was definitely lucky here because we, we only came back <laughs> because of the child coming along. But yeah, and business has, has grown in that time. Uh, we did obviously have a few ups and downs last year, but on the whole, pretty positive coming into 2021. Good deal. Well, I'm glad they're opening stuff up out there. It seems hit or miss here in the States. And I actually got COVID. I had it over Christmas and New Year's. So that was that was a blast for the holidays. But uh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's so sorry to hear that. It's, it's fine. It's just, it's life, right? But I'm glad things are going well for Raygun. It's one of those companies, one of those products that I have definitely uh, used and enjoyed and appreciated. And you guys, when I first got acquainted with you guys it, it was mostly bug tracking i think error error reporting and then you've added like application performance monitoring and all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. and yeah the the topic i have on my list is actually the past present future of software monitoring and it, it seems like you're kind of riding that evolution so i'm kind of curious when you started with raygun like what what was kind of the state of the art and let's just kind of walk through where we were, where we're at, and then where we're headed. Yeah. So when we when we launched Raygun, it did it originally Raygun was the product name. It wasn't even the company name. It was one of several products that we had built for software teams. And it was our first SaaS product. It was our first always on hosted solution. And prior to that was more of the virtual digital boxes, you know, download some software. Kind of a bit more like say the JetBrains model. Install a product, mm-hmm. use it for a year. If you want to keep paying for support, go for it. We built this crash reporting software. And the reason we actually did that, we launched it in 2013, was because my business partner and I, way back in 2004 when we met, we would often build our software where we would send emails to ourselves automatically when an unhandled exception occurred. And that was a key piece that allowed us to frequently deliver, in my view, better quality outcomes for our customers because we were aware of issues. I, I remember coming into work on a Monday And I'd just kind of skim my inbox and be like, okay, these errors here, I can just quickly fix those up and and deploy them out. And so even though we went and built all these different businesses and all of these different products between 
2007 when we started our company and 2013 when we launched the Raygun product, the Raygun product was really us going, why don't we productionize that thing that we've been doing for a really long right. time? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I've heard this and, story before. <laughs> yeah. And then when, when it went out, it started to grow really well. And um, much thanks to uh, probably a, a mutual acquaintance of ours, uh, Scott Hanselman, he mm-hmm. started using it in a mobile app that he was building and he actually already knew who we were, but he didn't realize that Raygun was us. And right. so he wrote this blog post going, hey, check this thing out. And that really kind of kick-started the growth of that product to the point where about a year after we launched it, it became very evident that we were um, making a mistake by not just going all in on the crash right. reporting stuff. And you know, I, I think part of that is... Uh, nearly everybody that was coming along and using our crash reporting product was coming from using nothing at all, right? So mm-hmm. anything felt like a massive step up. And I still to this day have this view. I'm like, every team needs a software crash reporting product. In my view, oh, yeah. it is the highest value product. And I, I mean, obviously I'd like prices to go higher because I sell the thing. But the fact of the matter is it's one of the most dirt cheap product ranges on the market across any of the, the, the ultimate oh, yeah. set in there as well. But when There are you a lot of them and that's part of it. Part of yeah, why but that's right. But that's, it's, it's kind of like a black box flight recorder, right? Uh-huh. And, and so if you don't know when, when your product explodes on your customer, <laughs> right? Like that's pretty bad. I often say, how far would have McDonald's got if they, if ever, like one in every fifth burger was rancid meat, right? But that's how the right. software industry works today is like, uh-huh. hey, we've had all this opportunity for so long that you can kind of screw up at a ridiculous <laughs> level and yeah. still win because <laughs> the whole, the entire world is evolving into, into being software powered. So anyway, we, we put that out there and, and that was really useful. And the, the plus side as well is, is if you actually end up spending a lot of money on a crash reporting product, and you want it the price to go down. The great news is, is that you can fix the bugs and make your customer happier, which will also lower your ray gun bill. Yeah, so that's so that's <laughs> that, that's a that's a good thing, right? Like, yep, um, yep. yeah, if you if you're more worried about your ray gun bill and the impact on your business of of you know delivering crap to your customers, um, there's something wrong. So so we started there, but then the the question sort of became, well, okay, so now that I can understand when something blows up. I would like something that suggests a little bit more about the experience, the, the qualitative experience that customers mm-hmm. have. And so that led us to, to building what's known as a real user monitoring or RUM tool. Not, not quite as delicious as it sounds, but that, that's measuring. <laughs> but rather <every> intoxicating. <laughs> <laughs> it can be. The, the design yeah, team yeah. have done great work on, on a beautiful UI. And so to like, lazily extend the analogy further on the black box flight recorder, I feel like a rum tool is like your airline ratings report, right? Like mm-hmm. n- nobody wants to take a 47 hour flight from Seattle to LA that has six stops, right? That's a bad right. experience. They want the fastest thing. And so it might not be that things are blowing up, but if they're slow, people don't like it. And so we brought that together and then we augmented that. So we started building these things to explain the health of their software because we actually had this, I won't name them, they are one of the, the, the larger APM players out in the market. But I remember uh, a company here in Wellington, New Zealand that was using them. And they were like, oh, it's great. The health score um, says that we're perfect. And, and then they said, the problem was is that we didn't realize that it said we were perfect because the uh, the 500 error page loads really fast. Um, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> 
And so oh. we're like, yeah. We, so we started connecting these dots and go, well, if we take the error information and the performance information, we can start building quite a comprehensive understanding right. of what's going on and we can tie this. So we can then again, we also are privacy minded. You know, people mm-hmm. have that as a front of mind thing. So how do we make sure that that data is all protected for our customers and we obviously don't sell it and blah, blah, blah. So that was all good. I won't go through the entire history of the company here, but ultimately we've ended up where we've kind of got everything that blows up, whether it's front end, back end, mobile, desktop, IoT, whatever. Uh-huh. We've got end user experience, whether it's mobile, PC, tablets, TVs, you know, we can track all of that. Mm-hmm. Lastly, we add, we did add the server side piece, which does code profiling and understands the code bottlenecks, not just the database bottlenecks. So that that means that we can kind of now cover front, back, you know, where the problems are, what the speeds are, and really help the teams mm-hmm. go quickly while also understanding what's going on there. The next phase of this, and I think, you know, today there's a lot of companies out there that are purporting to give the single pane of glass view on their software. Right. right? Uh, that's a common phrase we see. I I still think we're like day one like these tools um they do collect interesting information but it's also a wildly fragmented space Mm -hmm. nobody wants to have 50 tools but equally if you buy one it's kind of like not enough yeah and so we're seeing this consolidation going on and uh that's i mean that's one thing raygun has has been doing for years is is sort of self-developing a consolidated platform Mm -hmm. there so that that's where i kind of feel feel we are today I mean, I'll just keep talking straight into the future. No, I, I kind of <laughs> want to stop you for a minute. There, there are a couple of things, yeah, that you brought up that, that's kind of interesting. And one is, is that it seems like, like early on, there were a handful of tools that came out. One of them, I, I will name it. They were a competitor of yours, but they've changed their name. And, and this was probably the first one that I was exposed to was called Hot Toad. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like I said, they've changed their name. And then, the other one, I think, is the performance monitoring tool you're probably talking about because it was everywhere for a long time. And what's interesting is that I've seen this kind of expansion and contraction in the market where this particular performance monitoring tool went very enterprise, right? All the little people that were using them when they started, they priced them all out. They were gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this this particular company has now come back around and they're starting to offer smaller packages to people Mm-hmm. And and in some cases, I think they actually have a free offering. And so mm-hmm. it, that's been interesting to watch. The other thing that I've seen, though, is that, yeah, there's been consolidation. But generally, what I'm seeing is that most of these tools do most of the same things. And so what it really comes down to, at least for me, is how good is the stack trace? How, how reliable is the information? Uh, how actionable is the information? And things like that. And I still, I mean, I, I talked to you folks at Raygun. I've talked to a few folks at a few other companies. And, you know, you guys seem to focus on some of those things, you know, the, the actionability, the, the quality of the data and things like that. And some of these other companies, they just seem to expect people to just kind of get what they're getting, right? It's like, oh, well, I have this dashboard that tells me all this stuff and I should just understand it intuitively and it, it doesn't work that way and so you know you're talking about the single pane of glass it's it's not so much that you have a single dashboard it's that you have a place to go where you immediately know how critical the issues are that exist and whether or not you need to fix them and then what data you need to go do it and so we've seen this evolution but the evolution to me has been more 
an evolution as, to, as far as which markets people are going to trying to hit and serve. Mm-hmm. And then the other evolution that I'm seeing is around, you know, how you present the data in a usable fashion. The, the tools themselves don't seem like they've really evolved all that much. No, I think that's fair. I would also, before I sort of go back to the start of what you were saying, I think one of the things that happens a little bit in the categories in which we operate is with the overall growth of the software industry and mm-hmm. the the investment that's going in. And as people understand that, you know, $50 following, say, a $5, $10, 30000000 million software development is makes no sense, right? Like that's right. that's a really poor maintenance story. What we started out with at Raygun was was Jeremy and I. Jeremy's my business partner. We've always been the like, just tell me what to do. Like, I'll be honest, like, I I don't have time to sit here and sift through all this. (laughs) Just just tell me the freaking problem and what I need to do to fix it, right? And so we started that. And and a lot of the feedback we always got from customers was one of the biggest strengths, does what it says it's going to (laughs) do. Yep. However, what we also started to notice was that there's this interesting behavior, and which is, if you don't provide an opportunity for people to almost muck in with their data and customize and do things, they they don't build a bond, mm-hmm. to be honest, with the software. I think that's why you find far less, say, developers discussing, say, SDKs as you do with developers who maybe discuss their favorite IDEs or the programming mm-hmm. language. Like The thing you engage with the most is typically the thing you start to care about the most. So if you build a software solution, which you kind of go, hey, I can use this for two hours a month and solve a bunch of problems, the perceived value is actually quite low because the attachment rate is low. So we started sort of opening up these escape hatches. I never want to lose sight of like, just give you the damn answer. But yeah, and what we found was that a lot of the historical tools, part of the reasons that people were so attached to them was because they, they'd built their own workflows. It's kind of like that for, for folks who are probably wondering for an example of this, look at Jira, right? Mm. Jira is about the most customizable, maybe after Salesforce, piece of software out there. And you go on something like a Hacker News and all you see is people raging about how it's garbage. Now, we use it, does the job, right? But I hate I Jira. Think, yeah, <laughs> I hate I Salesforce think, too. But it's so customizable that yes. I think that there's a handful of people that really build this connection to it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's that. Jumping back a little bit to the um, the unnamed company that kind of went up market, right? I talk about it as being the dangerous but high quality problem, especially when you're talking about VC-backed companies, mm-hmm. right? Of which they were one, although they're, yes. they're not they're, they're, they're listed now. But you start off... And effectively, a VC-backed company gets to operate like a, a monopolist. They get to effectively use an antitrust tactic, which is we don't have to make our business viable because we've got money from somewhere else so that we can we can mm. just outlive everybody else in the category while we have artificially low prices. And then once we've killed everybody off or at least got enough market share, then we bait and switch that audience because we have to have the growth to support the valuations and repay those investors. Right. Right. And so what inevitably happens is you kind of get on this growth growth path where the growth becomes an unhealthy, an unhealthy part of the business because it's not what the customers are are looking for, right? Like they don't Mm -hmm. want to feel like every I mean, that that exact company I've talked with friends who they're like, Oh my God, you know, like when they call me up, I'm just like, Oh, 
that's going to be to try and take more money off me, right? And that's, oh, man. That, that's lowering the trust. That's that's eroding yeah. that customer experience, right? But they've that's got a good a relationship to have with people. I yeah, have a neighbor right. like that. He's part of this multi-level marketing thing out here. And yep. he'll call me up. <laughs> and, and, and it's so funny because the conversation's always, hey, how's it going? I haven't talked to you for a while. I mean, he lives around the block. I see him at church, right? Well, yep. when we were going to church. But yeah, and then inevitably, it's like, hey, can I come over? I've got some questions about some software that we're working with. And when he shows up, he pulls out his phone. He pulls out the app for the MLM. And he didn't want my feedback. He wanted me to look at it so I would buy in. Yep, yep, that's you know? right. And so this is where one of the things I try to be, like, so so we lowered the price of our crash reporting product last year. And part of the reason that we did that, and this was to your point earlier about like, you don't feel like some of these products have really necessarily improved the application. And what I was going to say, but, but missed there was that, I suspect everybody in our categories is seeing the same thing, which is that the data volumes go up so so blimmin' fast that we that's have had true. to put so much work into the back-end scaling side of things that often that has come at the expense of features coming into the app. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, the reason we got to lower the price was I we are, we're not a VC-backed company. And so I I sort of thought I'd take part of the the sort of Jeff Bezos mentality, which was hey, well, if we just lowered our cost to serve by a reasonable amount, why don't we pass that savings straight on to the customer rather than saying, hey, we just maximized margin. That's going to that's gonna help us. It's like, well, let, let's help the customers out. And so that, that also has been an interesting thing within the business for helping the software teams understand that performance improvements lead to really positive business outcomes because we hear that a lot from customers, particularly around our, like our RUM tools and, and, and our APM tool because a lot of engineering team folks say, look, the hardest thing I have is trying to create a um, an argument with my manager on why we should invest in performance and right. why we should invest in fixing errors, right? Because I can't easily put a number on it. I can't build a story. Right. And, you know, I one of the things I'm, I'm going to start talking about more in my conversations with people is that flyware, right? Like better quality software, 